Let us pray. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to um, to see you this morning. And uh, Lord, that uh, you might instill in our hearts uh, a certain hope and trust uh, in you uh, in spite of ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we really didn't spend that much time in, uh, in Acts chapter 9 talking about Saul's uh, conversion as incredible and as amazing as, as it is. Um, but... This conversion is a big deal uh, for a number of reasons. One, anytime somebody becomes a Christian, that's a really big deal because it's so counterintuitive uh, that it requires God to uh, intervene in our lives uh, directly. And sometimes it's not as dramatic as Saul on the road to Damascus. And in fact, for the longest time when I would go to camp or something and I would hear somebody give their testimony, there were all these crazy testimonies. Like, you know, the one time I was in a motorcycle gang and I used to kick dogs and, you know, all this kind of stuff and um, things like that. And then um, and I would think, you know, God, I used to actually say this. I wish I had uh, an exciting testimony. And now that I'm a little bit older and have kids, I'm like, thank God I don't have an exciting testimony. And not just that, uh, but the whole idea that um, uh, God in his mercy, for those of us that would have boring testimonies, uh, God in his mercy kept us from a lot of stuff. And in fact, the ones that hit a little bit closer to home are the ones like mine that say, you know, I grew up in the church and just really didn't know what to think or, or believe. And there came a moment or a point in time where God seemed very real to me and I didn't know exactly what I was doing, but things were different after that point. Um, but at the same time, there wasn't really a, a time when I wasn't a Christian, but certainly there was a pivot point, a transition point. Uh, God didn't have to necessarily knock you off your horse uh, but uh, there was still something going on. In fact, bless you, Michael Pounds. So, uh, in fact, when C.S. Lewis uh, talks about his conversion story, so I asked, well, how did you become a Christian? And he said, well, I literally got in a motorcycle on the way to the zoo in a sidecar, which is kind of humiliating. And, uh, and, and, he, and he said, and by the time the ride was over, when I was home, I, was a, I knew I was a Christian. Now, does that mean that God, entered, you know, Yes, but at the same time, what we know about C.S. Lewis's life is that there was this constant witness to C.S. Lewis through the years, especially through people like Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy, when they would meet together weekly at a pub in Oxford, they were constantly talking about this stuff. And Lewis was very much a, uh, uh, a skeptic. And, uh, and then one day it sort of clicked. He said it was like the hounds of heaven were nipping at my heels and they finally just overtook me. Uh, and maybe you felt that way, too, that there was you felt God pursuing you. Uh, and the funny thing is, is a lot of people, well, I was uh, I found Jesus like Jesus was the one who was lost. Um, and I, under, I understand what they're saying, but in hindsight, it may seem like I'm seeking God and you probably are. Uh, but what it turns out is that God's got a heat sinking missile on you. He's he's pursuing you. He's tracking you out. Uh, but there are those spectacular conversions that when it happens, you think, what? Like, did this, who's a Christian? I remember in college, people, you know, there'd be people that'd say, oh, like, this person is that close to becoming uh, a Christian. And we ought to unpack that. What does that mean? Uh, and I will. Uh, that close to becoming a Christian. What we were saying really is like, this person's already living this morally upright, really Christian life, they might as well just call themselves Christians. I mean, this non, honestly, unbiblical idea of, of human nature and where people are. 
But then that person would never become a Christian, and you'd hear about this person who was crazy, right? Who was crazy and really probably annoyed you and antagonized you a lot. And then they, you hear, oh, but they became a Christian. You're like, what? Right? One, I don't really want to see them when I get to heaven, so that's a bad thing. Uh, and then two, um, like, but that person seems so far gone. And that's, I mean, people think they're like these gradations of, like somebody like C.S. Lewis is really this close to becoming a Christian. God is that close to him. But somebody like, um, I don't know, somebody bad. Well, Paul. <laughs> uh, but someone like the Apostle Paul is so far away from God, it's as if God has to take extra steps to get to Paul. When we know that the reality is, is that we're all in the same boat. Even if our lives reflect a certain moral character, uh, we're just as lost as as St. Paul, and it still requires uh, an intervention from outside of us, uh, from God, in our lives to open our eyes so that something like scales fall from our eyes. And the thing is, is that even when, you know, this language of being saved, a lot of people are like, eh, I don't know about all that, but, I mean, it is. I, it, what you realize, especially as a Christian, is that God saves you from a lot of things. And one of those, th- that's not rain, is it? Oh, praise the Lord, those car seats are in the carport. So um, uh, that, that there's this notion that God saves us from a lot of things. He saves us from, from sin, uh, death, uh, hell, uh, but he really saves us also from ourselves, right? We realized that we were, we were lost and we were blind and we just really couldn't see reality as it was. And so one of the things that, that God does is when he knocks the, the blinders off of our eyes, when the scales come falling off, we can actually begin to see things the way they really are. We're not, we're not looking through these sort of thick, rose-colored glasses, nor are we looking at, uh, we call, see bad things, we say they're bad, and we see good things, and we see that, uh, that they are good. But at the same time, we also realize that not only are we saved, we're also being saved. Right? There's not this moment of like, woo, I'm done. Ready? You know, I'm, I'm perfect. Uh, I've got it all together. All is well. All is right. Because the longer you become a Christian, the more you realize your own struggle. Uh, and in, fa- in fact, in times in your life as a Christian, you probably doubt whether you're a Christian at all. That's a mark if you're a Christian. Have you ever gotten to the place where you're like, you know, I did this and Christians really ought not to do those things. Am I really a Christian at all? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Is change possible? What does change look like? Most of the time, people think that Christian change means constant moral improvement as your life goes on. And it may actually do that. It may actually do that, but not to your knowledge. Not to your knowledge. I did a class a couple years ago on, um, on uh, Jack Ravencroft who uh, was the bishop of North Carolina and he back in the 1700s. And he, um, he was a lawyer in Williamsburg, Virginia. And he was, for his mother's sake, he went to church and he really, really tried to be a good guy. He actually, you can go on the record book, he holds the record still in Virginia for most sites for contempt of court because of his use of profanity in the courtroom. Now, most of us have a moral governor enough to be like, don't say bad words in court. Right, And most of us can probably stick to that game plan, but Jack Ravenscroft couldn't. And so he was sort of, they said that the way that he cussed was an art form. And, uh, and people loved it. 
And uh, but he would go to Bruton Parish Church in Williamsburg because his, you know, his mom was alive and she, he wanted to keep her happy. And um, and he tried one day after his mom got on his case and said, Jack, you know, you got to stop this cussing. And he's like, I know, I know. So he tried with all of his might, and a couple weeks would go by, and he'd be doing okay, and then he'd let it all loose, right? The frustration would build, and he would let it all loose. And he was talking to a friend, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to church, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And this friend asked, well, Jack, have you ever actually gotten to the point where you've surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you actually ever said, this is when the Methodist revivalists were in that area, and um, and he thought, well, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. What do you mean? I, I am a Christian. And he says, well, what does that mean? And he says, well, I'm, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm going to church. I'm doing all these things. I'm trying to believe the right things. And his friend told him rightly, well, actually, the summation of Christianity is not uh, religiosity or even at times right thinking, although those sometimes go hand in hand with the Christian faith, but primarily... The Christian faith is about a relationship with Jesus. And he thought, this is weird. And he was riding to his plantation one day, and he was reading the Bible. And uh, by the time he got off his horse, he said, I get it. Right? I get it. I'm a Christian now. And out of his life, one of the things that people write about his life, and it's kind of funny, it's sort of like, well, Jack used to be a really good cusser. <laughs> and then he wasn't. And then he wasn't. And, it wa- and Ravenscroft himself would say, it wasn't, he said, I knew I shouldn't cuss, but like I didn't go through this 12-step program of, of getting rid of cussing. God just took it away from me. Now, he also would say, however, he did not take away my taste for whiskey. Uh, and uh, so he remained an Episcopalian uh, <laughs> and would go on to become the Bishop of North Carolina. So... Uh, so there are those elements of our lives that when you see the struggle in it, that, that God has changed you in spite of the fact that you may not see that change in, in your own life. And change is a whole lot easier than you think because it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. Now, once every couple of years, I show this clip because it's the best one. And um, it's the Jules Bass Santa Claus is coming to town. We're not going to watch all of it. Uh, but we are going to watch. You are trespassing on the lands of the winter warlock. Hey, hey, let go. Let go. Mm, Chris Kingle, you disturbed me for the very last time. No. Look, uh, before you do me in, would you tell your tree friends to let me loose for a second? You see, I I have something for you. What is this? A trick? Oh, no sir, Mr. Warlock. Or may I call you Winter? Mr. Warlock, if you please. Well, I managed to save one little toy. And I'd like you to have it. You... You wish... To give me a present? A a toy? Yes, sir. But nobody ever gives mean old warlock a toy. 
I'd like to start a new custom. If you just call off... What? what? Oh, oh, yeah, that... <laughs> oh, yes, of course. But you mustn't mind the tree monsters. Their bark is worse than their bite. <laughs> their bark is worse than their bite. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Willie Will, Peter Pine, release the Kringles. <laughs> and no tricks now. Oh, oh, no, no, sir, Mr. Wall. Choo-choo. I've always wanted one. What's that? My icy heart. It's melting. Well, look, Mr. Warlock. Please, please, call me Winter. Winter? Oh, yes, yes. Suddenly, my whole outlook has changed from bad to good. Great. Ah, but will it last? I really am a mean and despicable creature at heart, you know. It's so difficult to really change. Difficult? <laughs> why, why, look here. Changing from bad to good's as easy as taking your first step. Put one foot in front of the other. Walking across the floor Put one foot in front of the other And soon you'll be walking out the door You never will get where you're going If you never get up on your feet Come on, there's a good tailwind blowing A fast walking man is hard to beat Put one foot in front of the other And soon you'll be walking across the floor Put one foot in front of the other And soon you'll be walking out the door Change your direction If your time of life is at hand Well, don't be the rule, be the exception A good way to start is to stand Put one foot in front of the other And soon you'll be walking across the floor Put one foot in front of the other and soon you'll be walking out the door. If I want to change the reflection, I see in the mirror each morn. Oh, you do? You mean that it's just my election? Just He's a Presbyterian. To vote for a chance to be reborn. Put one foot in front of the other and soon. All right, there's there's a lot that uh, Chris Kringle gets wrong in the song. Uh, I don't need to see uh, my uh, my calendar, um, but nonetheless, um, 
Just a couple things. Let's uh, so keep that in mind. And before we get, to, we're actually going to read the passage from Acts. But uh, Chris Kringle, he's he's going through the woods. He comes. To my, there's something I really love about this. One is the random penguin. Like, what's he doing in Germany? And then um, uh, and the scarf. Uh, but they come upon the Winter Warlock, and if you. you you should know, like this. This is a pretty Christian moment when the Winter Warlock uh, says, "I want to do you in," and uh, Chris Kringle, who's voiced by uh, Andy, um, what's his name, Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney, thank you, Mickey Rooney. I always want no, well, so Mickey Rooney is the voice, but uh, Chris Kringle says, "Well, I, I want to give you, I want to give you something," and the Winter Warlock is so overwhelmed uh, by this gift. One, most people, if um, if uh, trees are holding them down about to crush them and the person's saying, I want you dead, uh, you, you don't necessarily say, hey, I want to give you a little gift. Right? I want to give you a little gift. And yet, undeserving as he is, Chris Kringle gives the gift. It melts his heart, and, and he, he knows he's changed. He knows at his very core, he's a winter warlock. And so his fear is, will this change last? Right? I feel the change that's occurred in my life, but will it last? It's very easy to hear this song and think, well, it's about getting up and putting one foot in front of the other. But in the context of the whole scene, I mean, I've actually tried to get in touch with Jules Bass, uh, who, who wrote this. Uh, he's not returning my phone calls. Uh, but um, in the context of the whole thing, uh, what uh, it's saying is that it's not getting up and just putting, like, getting on with life. But it really, it changes as easy as putting one foot in front of the other. It's involuntary. It's natural. You just go and change happens. Don't worry about it. You know, I mean, there may be some point in our lives, whether because of age or infirmity, that, that we do worry about walking. But most of us probably walking around like we don't give a lot of thought as we're walking down the street. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. We just, we just walk, right? We just walk because it's a natural thing to do. And so the fear of, is this change real, is the question, but also from the outside uh, looking in. Because what we see in Acts chapter 9, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might again receive his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So it's perfectly natural for Ananias to say, you know, Lord, is that you? Was it just Chen Express from last night speaking? Like, what's going on here? Like, how could God possibly convert the heart of Saul? 
right? If, if God were to make a list of people he really liked, would Saul be on there? Well, no, but that's because we think in human terms where God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't see like, ooh, bad winter warlock or ooh, bad Saul. He looks at all of us and says, that's a bunch of lost people, right, who I'm going to pursue and go after. And there's not one who is more far gone than the rest. I was in a class once and someone brought up a very good question about Jesus leaving the 99 and going and pursuing the one who is straight off. And, um, and I'd, feeling like I'm a little bit more of a lost sheep, uh, it didn't dawn on me the other side of that coin, which is, what are you saying? He leaves the 98 of us and just goes after that one? I'm like, ooh, that's a good point. Um, Yes, <laughs> not leaves you to yourself or your own devices, uh, but that God uh, has you safe in the sheepfold, but he's going to go after the one who is far off. And when that change does occur, it's normal for outside sus- uh, to be suspicious, folks like Ananias who ask, is this conversion real or is this a trap? Is he a double agent? Is he, what's going on? And you actually see that, that Paul has to go through a series of steps to basically prove uh, that he is who he says he is, that he's had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, that his, that his heart is changed. Uh, but you realize, too, though, that Paul's life as he knew it was over, right? What he had known up to that point of being a Pharisee and a teacher of the law and a Christian kidnapper All of his friends, all of the people who were close to him in his life were now no longer going to be his friends. Now, there are lots of people in the world who feel like that actually may be uh, one of the greatest impediments to them becoming Christians. I have a family member who I asked once, who I knew had grown up in the church, and I asked him, well, what, you know, what made you decide to stop going to church or is there any impetus in your life to ever ever want to, you know, sort of identify as a Christian. And uh, and he said, you know, Andrew, if I did that, um, it would mean the end of my marriage. It would mean the end of my marriage. Now, on the one hand, I could say, well, you need to have faith that God's going to work all that out. But on the other hand, that's a really real, real fear. The end of relationships that mean so much to you now that you think, well, now that I've become a Christian... Uh, those relationships will end. And some of them will, I will, the ones that do end, I'll say, are probably the ones, especially friendships, are the ones that probably do need to change, right? Uh, but what I found is that uh, if there's a changing in the relationship in the, that does not have a positive nature as, it, as its ultimate outcome, normally has to do with wrong ideas about things held by the Christian, one of the challenges that that, um, that I often ask myself, how many of my friends, and this is hard in Birmingham, how many of my friends are not Christians? Right. When, uh, of course, your core group of people that you're around, they're Christians, but uh, if, if we don't have friends out there uh, who are not Christian or, uh, I'm not saying the kind who are like, I don't like Christians, like, you know, I'm wearing my pen. I'm not saying, you know, y'all should all be like pen pals with ISIS members. Uh, in the Middle East. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that uh, there's something attractive about the gospel that allows a depth of transparency and vulnerability that people find refreshing, that they see and they're like, oh, that's... And all that really has to do with is the forgiveness that you've found in in Jesus and not trying to project something uh, that that you're not, right? That you're not. So um, 
I'll tell you, Uncle Rick. So for thank, the first Thanksgiving I ever went to, uh, to Lauren's family, uh, we were going and Lauren said, now they're going to ask you to say the grace because you're the only official minister in the group. And even though you, 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 you're not, uh, as her mom would say, you're not straight line. Uh, even though I'm not straight line, which at first I was really offended by, now I'm okay with that. And uh, so as, uh, as we go in, Lauren says, now, but look, they don't want one of those Episcopal prayers. Like, you're going to have to, these are, are, are conservative Presbyterians and Baptists. You're going to have to stretch it out a little bit. You know, not for these and all thy mercy is thy holy name be praised stuff. Like, you're going to have to really make it. So I'm, I'm there and, you know, I'm praying for, you know, all the infirmities in the family. And, I, you know, I'm going. And then I'll, I'm not even halfway done and I hear Uncle Rick say, Amen. And then he heads for the, uh, he heads for the buffet line. Well, I mean, I, how many of us have Christians have been in a situation where you feel pressure to pray a certain way because like you're the token Christian and you start praying in a way that you probably would never, ever pray uh, before. Or even as a Christian, you've been in the presence of someone who's praying and you're just like, get on with it. You know, just kind of like your uncle Rick. Amen. Uh, and so uh, what happens is that the witness that you have is simply to be your redeemed self wherever you happen to be placed. That God is at, The God who changed your heart in the first place is going to continue to change your heart as you go on through life. So with the winter warlock uh, in our, our little clip, I'm not really worried about, about him uh, changing, uh, but at the same time, uh, if you keep watching, he's sort of like, well, what do I do now? What do I do now? And there is a lot about that uh, to be said in the Christian life. Okay, now that I'm a Christian, what do I do now? There's the great scene at the end of Finding Nemo, you know, where the other fish finally escape and they take, they're in these baggies and they finally get into Sydney Harbor and then the one blowfish asks, no what? Right, because they're stuck in the bags. Um, a very good point. Uh, but when it comes to Christianity, uh, the now what is oftentimes a lot of restlessness, uh, a lot of waiting, uh, a lot of listening, uh, a lot of feeling like um, things aren't uh, progressing. And that's the normal course of the Christian life. You see that in Paul's life in the book of Acts, where he's waiting a lot. He actually ends up going up to Antioch and stays there for a couple years. And there's a lot of friction and a lot of strife and a lot of this and a lot of that. And so the Christian life is not, um, it's not, it's very dynamic, uh, but it often doesn't take us in the direction that we think it will go in. Now, one of the things that will, uh, I think, hurry things up and convict us pretty quickly is when kids come on the scene, because then you start thinking, well, how, how am I uh, going to bring up my kids? How am I going to impart faith to my children? One of it is, yes, lifestyle. But like Christianity is not like the chicken pox. Where, you know, I, when I was a kid, we had chicken pox parties. Did y'all have those where back then it was like, okay, Sally has chicken pox. Y'all are hanging out. Just kind of nip it in the bud and get it out of the way. And now I guess there's a vaccine. Wimps. Uh, you know, it's, I'm not that old, but it's so funny. You know, the, you know I, I walked a mile to and from school, uphill both ways. Uh, kind of. Uh, but one of the funny things that we can say is that uh, to my kids, when I was your age, Pluto was a planet. Um, so anyway, keep that in mind. But with your, it's not like Christianity is the chicken pox where they're just going to catch it. 
but in fact, uh, it's more than that. It is the sort of uh, telling your kids the story of Jesus and his love and what he's done uh, in, um, in your own life. I mean, one of the worst things that I normally see, uh, and we kind of get away with it here because we don't have it, but uh, children's sermons, children's sermons at churches are typically really bad because they're almost always morality plays. So I can remember as a child sitting at my church and there was this lady who I didn't like very much, Mrs. Thurston, and um, she had a bowl and all the kids were gathered up front and she was smiling at us and she said, okay, I want you to squeeze all the toothpaste out of this tube into the bowl. So all of us are taking turns and we're squeezing, getting every last drop of toothpaste out. And then she says, okay, now put it all back. And we're like, we don't have, we're six. Uh, we don't have the engineering capability uh, to, to do this, but I'm sure we, somebody can figure it out. Is there an engineer? Uh, and, and so Lord, sort of in our lostness of we can't get the toothpaste back in, and we're all kind of looking at one another, looking at the bowl, looking at her, and is she for real? Uh, she says, that's right, children. Uh, this toothpaste in the bowl is like your misdeeds and your and bad, angry words that you say to your parents. You can never put them back into the toothpaste tube. Let us pray. <laughs> I mean, where does that leave you? That leaves that leaves you at six years old, being like, "Well, I'm done." Right at six. <laughs> I'm just done. I'm never like, I mean, if anything, my life is like stepping on toothpaste tubes all the time. Uh, But instead of saying, you know, but thank God Jesus comes along and he cleans it all up. Right. He takes all the toothpaste up and he carries it away as if it never, ever happened. Right. And so uh, I understand. I wouldn't believe me. I want my kids to to behave as well as any other kids. But what we see in the Christian life is that it begins with a heart change and out of the heart comes the behavioral change. Now, I would much rather have a child that is squirting the toothpaste out and saying really awful things uh, than the child who's just suppressing it. And like, you know, my eyes say I love you, but I want to stab you in the head, kind of, you know. uh, I would rather have the child who actually comes right out and says, I don't like you right now. And then for that child to come back later and say, I'm sorry. or the times when I have to go to my child and say, I, I blew this out of proportion, I overreacted, will you forgive Will you forgive me? Rather than a child who's just able to control and modify their own behavior. Right? And a lot of Christians, even though we're adults, uh, spend a lot of time trying to modify uh, their behavior rather than living into the reality that they are changed and trusting that God will, will do that. Now, and you know what the funny thing is, is it doesn't lead to licentious living. It doesn't lead to doing crazy things, which is what everybody says will happen. Uh, in fact, uh, I would be willing to put what the Bible says about change in a life up against anybody who says that change is the result of trying really hard. I've told you, somebody in high school once said, well, if you do something every single day for 21 days straight, it becomes a habit. And I found that to be only true of bad habits. I've never seen it work for a good one. And not only that, but uh, let me just say, I'm just scanning for age here. Okay, I'm going to talk about Elf on the Shelf. All right, so Frances is a real pain in the neck. She's our Elf on the Shelf. Uh, But uh, I think our kids have been more ill-behaved since that Elf arrived on the scene than not. 
right? If anything, they've tried to hide their behavior. Um, well, who did that? You know, Mr. Nobody does everything. Or they blame it on Francis, the elf, right? But there's a great little thing that came up. Uh, someone showed me a picture that has a jolly Santa Claus on it, and it says, this guy works one day a week and then spends the rest of the year judging you. Uh, and I thought, that's right. Uh, uh, that's right. Uh, and so it's funny that um, all all the sort of action consequence, elf on the shelf, it, y'all know what I'm talking right? The elf goes up to the North Pole and reports to Santa whether you've been good or bad. And if they return and they are in the same place that they were the night before, it's a bad report. Lauren was gone for about five days. That elf didn't move once. <laughs> and then toward the end, our kids were saying crazy things like, oh, well, Fr- that her name is Frances. Frances just likes it because she can see everything from that viewpoint. She's just, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not it. Um, and so actually... Uh, you have to be you have to be very careful uh, with uh, with uh, Santa and the elf, but nonetheless, um, that idea of uh, of just trying harder uh, to change your life, uh, Saint Paul, which he says in Romans seven, he found imp- not affecting change at all. In fact, it just frustrated him and drove him uh, to despair. And if you're left to your own devices, like if it's up to the winter warlock, if it's up to St. Paul, if it's up to just you and me to sort of maintain this constant gradual progression, uh, one of two things is going to happen. Uh, we're either going to go underground where people really can't see how we really are, uh, or we're going to lie. We're going to lie. You know, uh, how's, how's your time uh, in the Word? Oh, man, it's fruitful. Man, I'm reading my Bible every single day. I'm up bright and early. And we ought to do those, we ought to do those things, absolutely. But, I mean, how many of us feel pressure, especially for those, I, I hope you have somebody in your life who you can be honest with saying, you know what, honestly, I've been reading the Bible. I still read it every day, but I just don't feel like God's, God's talking to me. And, and for someone to come alongside you and say, I, I know where you're coming from. Let's just pray that, God would open our eyes to what he would have us to hear and say rather than we just need to read more Bible or you just need to try real hard or what are you doing that's making God mad, right? Which is not it at all. God's love for us is unconditional. And so what we see in the Winter Warlock and what we see in St. Paul is that, again, you're never too far gone. God's arm is never too short to save. That's one. But will the change last? Yes, Yes, and the definitive mark on it, my favorite example, my Uncle David, who was once asked, he's a retired Baptist minister, Uncle David, uh, have you found yourself growing in holiness as you've grown older? Uncle David's in his early 80s, and my Uncle David responded, my propensity to sin has not diminished, only my ability to act upon it. And, uh, and so what my Uncle David realized, he actually used a little more colorful language, but uh, he's very earthy. Uh, but what my Uncle David realized, uh, is growth in the Christian life is realizing more and more every single day your need for a savior, right? Your need for rescue, your, your dependence upon God, not some cheerleader over on the sidelines. You know, God's not a life coach. He's just like, try harder, you know, do this. Uh, do that, uh, but simply believe on me, trust in me, and I'm going to take you the rest of the way. I'm going to change your heart, and I'm going to lead your heart. You don't need to worry about that, in spite of the fact you're going to worry about that. Questions, comments, concerns? 
know we have some sinners in the room. So yeah, that's all right. Everybody's gone underground. Um, one of the best things I read on what we're talking about is, and I forget, I think I read it on Mockingbird, where um, someone was talking about Christian life and change and was saying that, you know, a potted plant can't grow if it's constantly being dug up to check its progress. Right. Um, That's a good point. And I think so much in my life I think about that, that really growth as a Christian is a mystery and it's authored by the Holy Spirit. And as soon as we try to take the pulse or, you know, measure it, we kill it, you know. Yeah. Um, so That's a good word, Jenny. That was a comment, not a question. <laughs> That's good. Uh, that's a pretty good word to end on. It is. It is. It's really, yeah, that, um, yeah, let's just end it there. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.